0: Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness is submissiveness and humility. It's easy to see how people would naturally reject this as a way of life. Although this beatitude concerning being meek has been much praised even by many non-Christians, such as Mahatma Gandhi, some view the admonition to meekness with great skepticism. Friedrich Nietzsche, in his book called On the Genealogy of Morals, considered Jesus' call to meekness as the embodiment of what he perceived as slave morality. Nietzsche, like every unconverted person, cannot understand the wisdom of Christ. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it, for only those who are spiritual can understand what the spirit means. Jesus, personified meekness. And don't be fooled, meekness is not weakness. Only the one empowered by the Holy Spirit can fully embrace this truth and live it out.
1: Well, here we are on the third beatitude. It's hard to believe how quickly this is going. We're talking about blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, this beatitude is what we call uh, uh, the preamble, the beginning, the start, or the explanation of the Sermon on the Mount. Some people call the Sermon on the Mount the constitution of the kingdom of God. And our God is our king, and we want to do whatever he tells us to do. In fact, Jesus, in this Sermon on the Mount, explains to us how we as Christians live. We're not like people who are unconverted. We're not like the world. We're different. We have the spirit of Almighty God dwelling within us. And so in these Beatitudes, we see a standard of righteousness, a standard... Of living that is absolutely countercultural. It's not the way the world thinks. It's not the way the world functions. And so it's critical that we as Christians understand how God wants us to function as Christians. One of the best commentaries I have ever read on the Sermon on the Mount, on the Beatitudes, is done by a man by the name of John Stott. John Stott was one of my favorite authors uh, when I began Bible college in the early 1980s. And I just want to share a quote with you. He says, The followers of Jesus are to be different from the nominal church and the secular world, different from the religious and the irreligious. This Christian counterculture is the life of the kingdom of God, a fully human life indeed, but lived out under God's rule. So we recognize that, that when we talk about the Jesus revolution, we're not being dramatic here. It really is revolutionary. We're talking about a revolt against the ways and against the philosophies and the thinkings of this world. And it amazes me how many Christians still want to turn to the ideas and the philosophies of men. Some people are outright dazzled by it all but we understand from Scripture that we have a whole new way of living and a whole new way of thinking. It's critical that you and and I understand what it means to follow Christ and to know his will and to know his teaching. Can I ask you, if you haven't already done it, please, I'm begging you, please read the Sermon on the Mount. Please read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And I think you should probably get in the habit of reading that at least once a month or once every few months so that you understand what it is that God requires of us. I think we understand that a constitution is the thing that, that guides us in our culture, in our society. And we're talking about a Christian culture, a Christian society. We are citizens of heaven. And so we must know and we must understand how it is that we are called to live. Now, I want you to see something here. John Stott talks about nominal church. And sometimes we talk about nominal Christians. The word nominal means existing in name only. So there's a lot of people who belong to churches who uh, exist who exist in name only? They don't really function as a church. They don't think like a church. They just go through the rituals. They're religious, but they don't really have the touch of the Holy Spirit. And it's important then, for us to understand what that means. In the 1970s, at the Evangelical Lausanne Conference in Switzerland, they, the, the, there was a there was a a council of evangelical pastors who actually tried to define what a nominal Christian is. And here's what they say. A nominal Christian is a person who has not responded in repentance and faith to Jesus Christ as his personal Savior and Lord. That's what a nominal Christian is, somebody who has not responded in repentance and faith. A nominal Christian, therefore, is somebody who's just religious is going through the rituals this person may be a practicing or non-practicing church member he may give intellectual assent to the basic Christian doctrines and claim to be a Christian he may faithfully uh, be attending liturgical rites and worship services and may be an active member involved in church affairs but in fact He's a Christian in name only. Why? Because repentance and faith in Christ is lacking. And remember, faith is believing God and doing what he says. Faith is believing Jesus Christ and doing whatever he says. So it's important for us to understand that as Christians, we cannot be Christians in name only. We call that hypocrisy or acting. We're playing the part. There's far too many who are now hypocrites, and they don't even know it. They think, well, as long as I'm going to church or showing up once in a while, throwing a few bucks in the offering plate, what else could Pastor Allen possibly want? Well, look, it's not what I want. It's what Jesus Christ has called you to. He's called you to repent and to put your faith in him, to follow him and do your will. This nominal Christian is sometimes called a Sunday Christian or a Sunday morning Christian. Somebody who typically will attend church services on Sunday but is presumed not to adhere to the doctrines or the rules of the faith, either actively or passively. Not even giving mental assent to it. Just going along and actually being hypocritical. These Sunday morning Christians are, are hypocritical and how or what they practice due in part to their confusion of what the faith is. There's a lot of people that still don't understand that to be a Christian means that you are actually born again. You are converted. You are transformed. And this is not just out of the theology text. This is out of the Bible. This is the very words of Jesus himself in John chapter three. You need to read that. These Sunday morning Christians Uh, They go through the motions, but by and large, they don't contribute in any way. They don't support in any way. Oftentimes, these people will not give even a penny to advance the work of God. So it's important, then, that we understand the Sermon on the Mount and understand these Beatitudes to help us understand how we as Christians behave. Now, I'm going to tell you, uh, it is impossible It is impossible to live out these Beatitudes or the Sermon on the Mount if you are, in fact, a Christian in name only. You can't can't live or function according to the Beatitudes if you're a nominal Christian in name only, if you're just religious. You need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Understand that to practice these beatitudes, you need to be a Christian who understands that he or she is part of a revolution. You are revolting against the systems and the ways of our culture. It means that you are not concerned about what people think. You're not concerned about what people think of you on social media. Your, your interests are not in politics. You're not concerned about serving society. Your concern is to serve God and God alone. God is looking for a loyalty. And the Beatitudes help us to see that. It helps us to understand what really matters. And so I'd ask you this morning, are you surrendered to the Holy Spirit at work in your life, I know some of you, even as I'm speaking at this moment, are sensing a stirring in your heart, and God is challenging you concerning your walk with God. Look, at, if you don't understand these Beatitudes, um, if, you, if you can't embrace these Beatitudes, then I, I'll just be honest, you will never understand Alan Duncalf, which is not the end of the world. But you will not understand what I'm preaching and what I teach. You will not understand where I'm coming from. You will not understand why I do what I do and why I teach what I teach. Why I function the way that I function. And that is important because I'm your pastor. But more importantly, you will not understand the scripture. And you will not understand why Jesus did what he did. The Sermon on the Mount opens our eyes to understand a brand new way of living. It invites us to be part of a revolution, the Jesus revolution. So let's take a look at this third beatitude. Blessed are the meek. Here's what Jesus says. He says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And in the uh, New Living Translation, God blesses those who are humble for they will inherit the whole earth. And so both, both translations are just, are just fine, they're perfect. But let's, let's just be reminded again what that word blessed means. The word blessed means to be happy, means to be rich, it means to be joyful, it means to, to be prosperous, where you are totally satisfied all your needs are met. Now, here's the thing. As Jesus is introducing the Sermon on the Mount, he begins with with this message of how you and I can know happiness. I mean, every human wants that. Every human is looking for that. They're desirous of that. The U.S. Constitution begins with that. We, 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 We believe that people have the right to pursue happiness. Now, I'm going to tell you something. That is an American idea. It's not necessarily a biblical idea. And you're going to see what I mean by that in just a moment. Jesus knows, though, that this is what our heart's desire is. We want to know what it is to be satisfied, to be full, to be happy, to be rich. This blessing that we're talking about is something that God bestows upon those who pursue him that desire him and long for him. It's a gift of God to all who have the attitude of Christ. Well, the Beatitudes, they describe to us what the attitude of Christ really is. So we know what blessed means, and we know that God is the one who bestows this blessing upon us. But then Jesus tells us how we receive this blessing from God. But you'll notice that this blessing from God comes not through us pursuing happiness, but by pursuing something else. It comes from pursuing God. And really, that's what all these Beatitudes are about. It's all about different ways to pursue God. You'll see that. It's really quite interesting. And it shouldn't surprise us because further on in the next chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us, he tells us, seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and everything you need will be added unto you. In other words, you will be blessed. That's what the Beatitudes are about. Remember, the Beatitudes are the preamble, the explanation of the Sermon on the Mount, which is the the constitution of the kingdom. So we're pursuing God, and in pursuing God, and Jesus tells us the, the various ways that we pursue him, God then blesses us and makes us happy. The problem with North Americans is that we And not just North America anymore, it's around the world. The problem is is that our pursuit is of happiness, not realizing that happiness is the fruit of pursuing God. That's how Christians are different. And Christians understand that. So it's important for us then to understand what what do we need to be, what what does our attitude need to be, how must we behave, how must we function if we're going to know this happiness that Jesus is speaking about. Well, Jesus says one of the ways that we pursue God is by being meek. Now, what does meek mean? Well, it comes from the uh, Greek word prais, which means gentle or humble, courteous, um, considerate. You understand that it requires self control, it requires the work. Of the Holy Spirit in our lives, you cannot be meek in your own strength. Uh, you may be able to act like it, but inside you may be just uh, maybe a raging storm inside your heart we 're talking a self we're talking about a self control that that is enabled by the Holy Spirit, and that 's what Jesus is saying: Blessed are the meek now we recoil at the thought of Jesus Christ as the meek Jesus, the, the humble and gentle Jesus. It conjures up images of a weak Jesus, of an effeminate Jesus. But that's, that's where we're so wrong. We don't understand what meek means. When we think of meek, we think of weak. The Greeks thought that. Here's, here's a Greek proverb. The strong do what they will or what they want. The weak suffer what they must. That was a Greek proverb. The Greeks did not, did not revere meekness and humility or gentleness or courteousness. They thought that that was a weakness that you need to exert yourself. Well, today, if you tried to find a book on how to be meek, you won't find one. I tried, Amazon tried to find a book on how to be meek. I couldn't find anything. I did find two books about how to be humble, but that was it, just two books. Because that's not really what people want. I did, however, find a multitude of books about how to dress for power, how to have a power lunch, uh, how to be assertive, how to get what you want, how to, how to power through, how to put yourself first. Uh, There are two that I found so shocking. I thought I'd share them with you. And the the first one is called Not Nice. And I cannot even pronounce the author's name. I guess I could try. Aziz Gazipura. I I think that's pretty close. But but here's what it says on Amazon.ca. Not nice. Stop people pleasing. Staying silent and feeling guilty. And start speaking up. Saying no. Asking boldly. And unapologetically, being yourself it it gets five stars almost completely almost complete five stars. Wow, this is absolutely and utterly opposite to what Jesus teaches in not nice uh, dr aziz uh, i don 't know where he got his doctor from but this Dr. Uh, Aziz, he wants to teach people how to have extraordinary confidence. He wants to help people get ahead. But Jesus is saying, if you want to get ahead, this is not the way to do it. It's not by being arrogant. It's not by being, by being pushy. It's not about, uh, about putting yourself first. No, not at all. And then here's another one. Uh, how to be assertive. The ultimate assertiveness workbook to teach you how to stand up for yourself. And here's again what amazon.ca, here's how they describe it, how to be assertive, the ultimate assertiveness workbook to teach you how to stand up for yourself. Wow. Uh, Unfortunately, I mean, this would be laughable, except that that so many Christians have bought into this. So many Christians believe, I mean, I got a I've got to teach my daughters how to be assertive how to stand up for themselves, how to push through in a man's world. You see, this is the wisdom of the world versus the wisdom of Scripture, the wisdom of God. And I know even as I'm saying this, somebody's angry at me. But please don't get angry at me. If you're going to be angry, be angry at Jesus or God <laughs> because it comes from them. It comes from God. It te- God is teaching us what he wants us to be. I'm going to tell you this right now. The real Christian, the one who is truly converted, the one who has experienced the power of the Holy Spirit at work, they know that meekness is not weakness. Jesus said this of himself. He said that he is meek. Now, I dare you to say that Jesus is weak. I dare you. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 29. Then Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart. He's saying, I'm meek. I'm considerate. I'm courteous. I'm humble. And you will find rest for your souls. This is the master that we serve. Jesus is the one who invites you to come to him. He's not not a taskmaster. He's not gonna condemn you. He's not gonna hit you. He's not gonna hurt you. No, he invites you to come because he's gentle and humble and he's gonna help you. Come and you will find rest for your souls. You know, Jesus, uh, Jesus is not weak. Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know the story. He's just finished enjoying the Passover with the, with the disciples, and now he's praying just before he goes to the cross. And he knows what's about to happen, and he's waiting for it to happen. And then suddenly Judas appears, and he came straight to Jesus and he says, greeting, rabbi. And then he gave Jesus a kiss. Well, you know why he's doing that. He's trying. He, it's dark out and he's identifying for the guards and the officials that have come from the high priest. He's identifying who Jesus is in the crowd and in the dark. Now, here's what Jesus says. Here's the meek and humble Jesus. He says, my friend go ahead and do what you have come for and then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him and it's at that moment that one of the one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's servant cutting off his ear put away your sword Jesus told him those who use the sword will die by the sword now here's a moment when jesus could have used force he could have exerted himself he could have been bold he could have lifted his fist and said i don't have to take this i don't need to put up with this i'm going to assert myself i'm going to stand up for myself because i now i know how to be assertive no that's not jesus at all jesus says don't you realize I love this. Don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us and he would send them instantly, instantly. They would be here to protect. Now, this is very difficult for our natural minds to receive. And I got to remind you, the apostle Paul points that out. The natural mind cannot receive spiritual truth. Your mind has to be converted. When your mind is converted, then you can receive the truth that I'm teaching you now. Jesus was gentle in this moment. He was courteous even. He even healed the servant, even though the servant was coming as an enemy. We recognize that these servants of the high priest, this gang had come to arrest Jesus. They were functioning on this level but Jesus was functioning on this level. Now, I want you to remember this picture because for so many of us, we function on this level. And if someone wants to fight, I'm gonna fight them back. If someone's gonna be assertive with me, I'm gonna be assertive back. If someone's gonna push me around, I'm gonna push them back. But Jesus is saying, no, you're not part of the world, you're now part of another world. You don't function like the world does. You are, you are gentle, you are humble, you are meek, you are courteous. Now, this is hard for you to hear. It's hard for you to even understand. But as a Christian, that's who we are. We imitate Christ. And you're gonna see in just a moment how powerful it is that Jesus remains meek at this very moment. And why meekness is not weakness. Why being meek and humble wins the day. Imagine the strength required in Christ to hold back the angels when his very life is threatened. He knows he's going to a cross. Oh, my friends, weakness is not weakness. The strength, the, the intestinal fortitude, the strength of a master to hold back the angels. No, and I'm sure the angels are just ready. Let me out of Jesus is saying, no. We're gonna do the, the will of the Father. The will of the Father is primary. It's the most important thing. And we're going to talk about that next week. That's what real righteousness is, is doing the will of the Father. And to do the will of the Father requires that we are humble, that we are meek. We walk humbly before God. and men. Now, Jesus says that the meek will inherit the earth. In Greek, uh, I actually went to the Greek, and I I translated it myself. Let me just share share with you Alan's version. You've heard of the New Living Translation and the King James Version. Here's Alan's version. Blessed are the meek. They shall be enjoying the allotment of God, the land. That's literally what it says in Greek. You'll notice I put blessed are the meek twice. Uh, Scratch out one. Jesus is saying blessed are the meek they shall be enjoying the allotment of God the land. The you'll notice that I've included the Greek here so you can see it. And it it doesn't say the earth although it, the earth is a perfectly fine translation but it actually says teen yin the land. This is la- this is language right out of the Old Testament the allotment of God the land. If you uh, if you read about Joshua, or actually Moses, talking about how the land would be divided, you'll notice that God talks about the allotments that are for the various tribes. But more importantly, you'll understand that the land in the mind of the Jew was the most important thing to the Jewish person. And here's why. Because the land represents the fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to all those who followed. The land is the place of their history, their faith, their religion, their culture, their identity, uh, and, and all of it is tied to the land. Now, for many of us, we don't understand that. We don't understand how significant the land is. One Jewish rabbi said the land is what defines the Jewish mind. And the Jewish religion, if you don't understand the land, then you cannot really fully appreciate the importance of Israel. And you cannot understand the way the Jewish mind works. Now, it shouldn't surprise us. In, in uh, Psalm 137, Israel uh, is, was in, in exile in Babylon. And here's what it says. It says, beside the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept as we thought of Jerusalem. Boney M, some of you will remember from the 19, I think, 1970s, they sang that song uh, by the rivers of Babylon where, where we sat down. It's describing the Jewish people unable to sing, unable to rejoice, unsettled, unhappy, disturbed, not feeling contentment, not feeling secure because they're not in their own land. Very important to understand that. But here's what Jesus is saying. If you walk in meekness, if you are humble, then guess what? You are going to experience the blessings of the land. And of course, the biggest and the most important part of the land is that in in the land is Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem is the temple. And in the temple is the presence of Almighty God. Think about that for Israel the idea of inheriting the land is something that they fully would have fully understood here is the fulfillment or the completion of all of God's promises now think about that those who are humble those who are meek are going to enjoy all of God's promises. You will inherit all that God has for you. This powerful stuff. The arrogant can't inherit. In fact, it's arrogance. It was pride. It was a rejection of God that kicked Israel, the Israeli people out of the land and, and put them into exile. But God says if you wanna, if you want to inherit the land, then you need to Walk in humility, in meekness. You've got to come off of this level and start living on this level because it's at this level that God's people dwell. Do you live at this level? Or are you living at this level? Ready for a fight. Or are you living at this level? You see, at this level, this is when you imitate Jesus. This is when you are like Christ. Jesus describes himself as meek. And as you know, if you're going to be a disciple, a follower of Christ, then you need to learn to live imitating Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. You know, Jesus, a lot of people don't realize this, but our Lord Jesus, when he's teaching and preaching, he's actually quoting much of the Psalms. Look at this psalm here. It's uh, Psalm 37, verse 11. It's almost verbatim the the this this uh, this beatitude, and it says, "But the meek shall inherit the land, and delight themselves in what abundant prosperity." Now, please, anybody who still believes in the prosperity gospel. Uh, I mean, you've been living under a rock, and you have no clue what the Bible says. It's a it's a heresy out of the pit of hell. We're not talking about about a prosperity gospel here. What we're talking about is a fulfillment of God's promises, of God meeting our needs, of of living safely in the in the hands of our God. It's a beautiful picture. And when we are living and dwelling in the very palm of, of God's hands, then understand that all of our needs are met. So this land, it represents the very presence and help and the power of God. You, if you are a student of the New Testament, that you know then that, that there is a new heaven and a new earth coming. And this new heaven and this new earth is, is the future that we will inherit. This is what we're looking forward to. I was visiting with my friend Mary Krager just the other day. She's 101 years old. And uh, as we were talking, she said that she'd been reflecting on heaven. One of her friends asked her if she's looking forward to, to going there. And she said, here's what she said. I thought it was so good. She said, heaven is not so much a place as it is the presence of God. When she said that, I just I felt something inside of me just, just well up with joy. chills went down my spine because what she's doing is she's describing the picture that, that is painted for us in Revelation 21, uh, chapter 21 and chapter 22. Here's what it says in, in verse 3 of chapter 21 of Revelation. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. You see the beautiful picture here. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. They shall inherit the land. They shall inherit the very presence of God forevermore. Someone once said that a wonderful uh, definition of hell, an accurate definition of hell, is the utter absence of the presence of God. You know, what we humans, while we are living on this earth, we take for granted the presence of God. But those who, uh, who do not put their faith in Christ will have an eternity unable to ever, ever call on the name of God ever again. Never again will they know that blessing. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who dwell on this level. For these are the people that will inherit the new heaven and the new earth they will inherit the earth. If you're dwelling on this level, you're not dwelling in the power of the Holy Spirit. You're dwelling in your own strength, your own wisdom, your your own wits and your own ideas. And we all know that that leads to destruction. But those who are submitted to the Holy Spirit, they move to a new level and they start walking in meekness and humility. And then they know the blessing of God that follows them. Just think about that and how powerful it is i gotta, I got to just tell you, folks, that God's will is done through the gentle, through the humble and the meek. But those who are arrogant and ambitious and driving and pushing themselves forward, those are the ones that, that lose out. They don't know God's strength. They don't know the inheritance of God. Remember, Satan was defeated, was utterly defeated, through the gentle and meek Jesus. Think about that. He could have called legions of angels, but Jesus did not. He chose, and this is so powerful, you have to get this. Jesus chose humility, the path of humility, the path of meekness. And through that, Satan, the God of this world, the, the God of this world with all his, his demons and his minions, his evil forces, utterly, utterly defeated. Jesus did not protest. Jesus did not arm himself with a resistance army. He did not use power. He just simply walked in humility. And I'm going to tell you that God's will shall be done through your life when you walk in humility and meekness. You will inherit the land. In other words, you will win. It's all yours. Those who are humble, those who are meek, they win. They win every time. Now, it may mean that you have to die. But if you understand that we are eternal beings, that this world is not our home, then you have no problem with that. If if winning means that I die for, for God, die as a martyr, hallelujah, bring it on. You know, Frederick Nietzsche, in his book called On the Genealogy of Morals, he considered Jesus' call to meekness as the embodiment of what he perceived as a slave morality. Nietzsche, like every unconverted person, he could not understand the wisdom of Christ. And if you don't understand this today, then what you need to do is you need to maybe consider that you need to get before God and check to see whether your heart has been surrendered to Jesus or not. If you're ready for a fight, then you're working on this level. You're with Nietzsche. But if you are a man or a woman who wants to live the, the meek life, then you, you move to this level. Christians understand that those who are meek and humble always come out the winner. And it's true. I've seen it, I've seen it every time. As a pastor, I've tried to do that. I haven't always been successful, but I think for the most part, God has helped me. Those who want to fight, those who want to take me to task, those who want to call the prime minister and call the forces, we're going to change, you don't win that way. Muhammad Gandhi understood it. He loved this. He loved this this beatitude. And Martin Luther King Jr., he, he said the same thing. In fact, he said violence is immoral. Mahatma Gandhi, he said that nonviolence and truth are inseparable. They go together. He understood that. Do you understand that today? If you're going to be victorious, then you need to walk in meekness and humility. And by the way, that's exactly what Martin Luther King Jr. did. He didn't have to die for it, but it changed America. In fact, it changed the world. But it happened by this man and his followers who chose the path of meekness, rather than the path of violence. Jesus says, "Turn the other cheek." Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, "Go the extra mile." If someone asks you to go one mile to carry to carry their stuff. Go two miles. If someone says, give me your, give me your garment, don't just give me, give me your outer cloak, give me your inner garment as well. What's Jesus saying? Take the path of courteousness, of humility, of kindness, of gentleness, and you will succeed. You will overcome. You will inherit the land and be delighted in abundant prosperity. Wow. So we've got to close, and let me just close with this. Because some of you are wondering, well, what do I do with this information? Well, first of all, you, what you need to do is you need to be in the, in the habit of praying, asking God for grace and, to, and for strength to, to walk in humility as Jesus did. But this requires a rejection of this culture. It means that you are not going to be immersing yourself in books and how, how to, to assert yourself and how not to be nice. No, you're going to say, God, help me to walk like Jesus walked. So you're going to pray, which is the first, first path. Pray that God would give you the grace to, to not be friends with the world, but to reject the ideas of this culture. The second thing you're going to do is you're going to pray and ask God to help you resist temptation. So you're going to pray about it and then you're going to resist temptation and the temptation is always to exert yourself always to push yourself forward always to have the fight but don't do it you're you're going to want to overpower people bulldoze them but don't be gentle and you need to once again to respond to the holy spirit's poking you BECAUSE IF YOU'RE A CHRISTIAN, THE HOLY Spirit's DWELLING IN YOU AND HE'S CONSTANTLY GUIDING AND LEADING YOU, AND HE WILL POKE YOU. AND YOU'LL KNOW, AND you'll, YOU'LL FEEL IT IN YOUR CONSCIENCE. YOU'LL KNOW WHAT'S THE RIGHT THING TO SAY, WHAT'S THE WRONG THING TO SAY, WHAT'S THE RIGHT THING TO DO, WHAT'S THE WRONG THING TO DO. THAT'S THE HOLY SPIRIT LEADING YOU. YOU NEED TO RESPOND. THE THIRD THING THAT YOU NEED TO DO IS THAT YOU NEED TO CALL EACH OTHER OUT. YOU NEED TO BE PREPARED TO HOLD EACH OTHER ACCOUNTABLE. AND, and THAT'S TOUGH. If you could stand to have someone correct you, then you're meek. If you can't stand to be corrected, you get angry, if you get resentful, if you get defensive, if you start justifying yourself, you're not meek. You got a a meekness problem. But if you're open to, to instruction, open to advice, open to opinions, I tell you, as a pastor, I have had literally hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands, of, 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 of moments where people have tried to correct me and tried to set me straight. And I've learned just to listen. I don't always like it, but that's what Jesus would do. And then finally, you have to develop a brand new way of thinking. You have to reject the ideas of this world because I'm gonna tell you right now that your success in life comes through your meekness. Success is the fruit of meekness. Father, we ask in Jesus' name, give us grace, give us strength to be like the gentle, humble Jesus, knowing God that when we do that, your will is done and we inherit the land, we inherit the earth, we inherit all that God has for us because this meekness is impossible without the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. So Spirit of the living God, have your way in us. Amen. God bless you.